I'm not modeling anymore. Which why you fail. All of you have failed before. Awkward. <laughs> Fail. I don't know how you can screw that up. I don't know how you can screw that up. Since when is being creative a fail? I've failed over and over and over again in my life. Fail. Hello, how are you guys doing? I don't have a microphone. Hello, how are you guys doing? How about that? Can you hear me? Yes! For a show all about failure, this is the traditional start, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, brilliant, right? It wouldn't make any sense if it worked when I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Fails Better. Um, well, we should probably explain... What we should say who we are, first yeah, of all. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm Paul Varjek. And I'm Dan Simpson, and together we are... Varjek. And Simpson. Hey! Hey, that's how that works. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Fails Better. Well, if we're going to say Stand Up Tragedy Fails Better, we probably need to define fails better and we have to define stand-up tragedy, right? Yeah, let's do that thing. Okay, so cool. stand-up tragedy uh, is a live tr uh, true storytelling show run by some amazing people dotted around the room and basically they get musicians and poets and stand-ups to come up onto the stage and tell true stories. It's amazing. And Fail Better is a monthly podcast that we run which is all about dying on stage failing and the hilariously awful. So we decided, they, oh well, the stand-up tragedy guys and us decided that this would be an amazing concept to mash up together because what is funnier than true fails? Um, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to have six amazing guests come up onto the stage, do one of their pieces about failure, and then we're going to have a kind of chat about where that piece came from, any other failures in their life, and basically kind of show off their worst qualities to you uh, in the hope that you'll have a good time. Does that sound good? Make a noise if that sounds fun. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so I think it's time to get our first guest up onto the stage here at Stand Up Tragedy Fails Better. All right, ladies and gents, I want you to go wild and crazy for our first act up onto the stage, Scott Tyrrell! Get up for Scott! Everyone's a giant. Hello, everyone! Hello, um, I'm from Newcastle. Um, should probably explain the accent. Um, <laughs> it's not really Geordie. Um, I was a student in York, and York's full of uh, people from Oxford who couldn't get into Oxford. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I started off with, aye, that's really canny, that like any, I love it, aye. Uh, to, um, oh, that's wonderful, we must tell Rupert <laughs> in about three weeks. Um, so, yeah, this is, um, this is a true story uh, in the form of a poem, um, and it's dedicated to my wife and my stepdaughter. Has anybody got kids? <laughs> Is anybody planning to have a child in their life? <laughs> you won't be after this. Um, right, okay. Um, this is called um, Coitus Interruptus. It's quite erotic. You ready? Strap in. It's quarter to seven on a Saturday morning. And we're just awake. Just. Our senses are lazy, except our eyes that meet on the same pillow. They connect. We want connection. Lazy Saturday morning, slow, deep connection. So we listen. Nothing. No movement in the next room, no cartoons, no fridge door, no Cocoa Pop Crunch. <laughs> we kiss. She breathes and heaves, I grow and slowly move down her neck. Her scent is tangible, warm, sweet, aching. Everything is switching on, and I move lower. Her breathing quickens louder, deeper. She moves her body towards my kiss as I taste her breather, and she's like chocolate on my lips. And what was that? <laughs> We're alert like squirrels. <laughs> Tense, rigid, ears sharp as reeds. I think it's just claws on a scratch post. Five seconds later, we're both naked from the waist down, and I'm lower still. Underneath the covers, it's warm. She's warm, and we don't need any further persuasion. But we listen. Still the cat. Still the cat. We plunge beneath the duvet like divers in a cotton lagoon, and I'm moving on top of her, in her, with her, but I'm still listening, and I'm feeling it, and it's good. She's so good, the framework creaks loud as a mouse, so I go slower. 
But I want her so much, a momentum finds its voice. It whispers, it groans, it creaks, the cat scratches. And I strain to hear what I don't want to, but I'm feeling it, and it's so good. And I'm a piston now, a steam train, loud and fast. And she's with me, running, speeding towards the station. And we're almost there. Where? What are you doing? <laughs> we're both squirrels again. Busted, but for the dignity of a duvet. I look at the panic in the face beneath me, and I'm reaching for a lie, but she's quicker. We're having a tickle fight. <laughs> Genius. Gene, it's convincing. So convincing that a daughter yells, brilliant, and leaps onto the bed and onto my back, thus pushing me deeper into her mum, <laughs> who shrieks in what I pray is not delight. I'm trapped in an obscene sandwich between mother and daughter. I am fortune's pervert. <laughs> her mother skillfully tickles her off my back, affording me seconds to release myself, but I'm still naked and neither my shorts could be anywhere. The tickle fight is in full swing, so I dive back at her to find my dignity. I can see my shorts, I can reach them, but I'm spotted by eight-year-old eyes, so I panic and blow raspberries into her belly. She's laughing, I'm reaching, and I'm pulling shorts on blind with one hand. <laughs> whilst blowing into a child's belly button. <laughs> Thus forever destroying the myth that men can't multitask. <laughs> I'm safe now. I lure the child off the bed with Cocoa Pops. I make coffee and switch on cartoons and I look at my partner in crime. We smile, we laugh, we connect. And we check the calendar to see when the child is next with her dad. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, hello. So, Scott, grab a seat, grab a seat, grab a seat. We're going to do, a, so basically the format of the show this evening uh, at Stand Up Tragedy Fails Better is we're going to have the poem, we're going to have the piece uh, of yeah. the music or whatever we have from each act. Uh, hello, come in, come in. Wonderful. Uh, and then we're going to have a little chat about it. Um, Scott, uh, first question, uh, is this your partner on the front row? No, 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 not at all. This oh. is one of the guests, in fact. Oh, fantastic. Well, well that's for doing your research. That's um, good. Um, I was going to ask, um, I was basically going to ask, um, do you, have you ever formed that in front of your partner? Many times. And um, how does she react? <laughs> I, not only have I um, uh, performed it in front of my partner, I've performed it in front of my stepdaughter as well. Um, how old is she now? She's 18 now. Oh. And I did it for her 18th birthday. I thought it would be, <laughs> be quite special. Um, <laughs> well, 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 is that, to, is that to be fair, her expression rarely changes these days. So, like, I, I thought, you know, well, it was fun to watch. It was, you know, it's like George Lucas being told that Star Wars was crap, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. She, um, when I first wrote it, I did, I did, uh, you know, run it past her kind of thing, and she she laughed her ass off. Um, and and said, "Are you actually going to do that?" I said, "Yes, I am. I, I, this is what I do. I'm going to do that." Um, and uh, yeah, it was quite fun to um, to what to watch the uh, squirming, really. <laughs> so amazing. Um, so I guess that's the thing with th sort of true stories. Do you feel like, despite it being potentially well, not potentially embarrassing, I imagine very embarrassing uh, for your stepdaughter and, and your partner. Uh, you still feel you have to kind of embrace that and just go for it. Well, yeah. When I, when it happened, um, obviously it was kind of one of those things where it's like, how do I tell anybody about this? Uh, because y as soon as you start to approach it, you, you start looking instantly like a pedophile. Um, so, um, and, it, and, it, and, it, is, and it, it is, does tread the line between, oh my God, what's going on here? Uh, and um, the, um, the problem was sort of like trying to express it and without, without looking like a, you know, a member of the pie exchange. And um, one of them... So I basically thought, I'll, I'll do it in real time. I'll write the whole thing in real time. So everybody's there with me. Everybody can experience the pain blow by blow as, it, as it's happening sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, I thought th that would be the way of getting over it. And I, I, I don't really have much shame anyway. <laughs> so, um, so <laughs> I don't think that's where we're going to leave our interview, actually. That's right, okay. <laughs> gentlemen. Scott Terrell, your first poet. Thank of the you very much. Oh yeah, so so we forgot to say um, the thing about Varjek and Simpson is we we like clashing art forms. So Dan is usually uh, the programmer of all things poetry, and I'm the programmer of all things not poetry. It's like every everything else. <laughs> so next up, I think I want to call up. I like to call up theater maker and actor Charles Adrian to tell us a true story. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hello, good, e uh, good afternoon, I should say. Um, I feel very strange uh, talking to you in this guise because I normally play a character uh, called Samantha. Um, and this is, it's probably the first time since I was at university that I've told a story as me, or I don't, possibly not even. Anyway, um, <laughs> I've, I've, brought her, I've brought her handbag um, so that she's at least with us in the space. And uh, in her handbag is her, um, what do you call it, eye shadow. She doesn't wear very much makeup. She wears lipstick and eyeshadow. And the reason I brought this is because it, rem it reminds me of a gig. Sorry, I carry, that's how she carries her bag. Um, I'm going to put that down, otherwise I'll start doing her voice. Um, <laughs> I've, I mean, I've had some disastrous gigs as Samantha, um, and this one wasn't the most disastrous, I suppose. It was a comedy club in Wimbledon. Um, and I do all right, you know, uh, in this kind of setting, Samantha does fairly well, um, in, you know, mixed bill kind of gigs. Uh, comedy clubs are not her natural home. She doesn't tell jokes. Um, and I, I have a, a kind of, I'm a, a contrarian, so given that it's not a good place for me to go, I think, yeah, this would be if I could if I could get that right, then you know, then I would I would be king of the world. Um, it hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the dirty secret about Samantha is that she's just me with a dress on. Uh, <laughs> it's not really a secret. Uh, <laughs> but I I like to I like to believe that when I'm when I'm performing as Samantha, people see Samantha. They don't see me. Uh, and I suppose, I mean, people say every now and then, you know, you're so brave to do this. I think all performers get that. Every now and then someone says, you're so brave to do that. And I always, I always shrug it off. I say, no, there's no bravery involved. I just stand up and do it. Um, but I realize that I think a big part of me is pushing away uh, what is very scary about doing Samantha, which is that people will realize it's just me in a dress standing at the microphone. Uh, and this is, it's, it's something that I find very shameful. Uh, and I realize it only occasionally. Um, I realize it when I'm standing on George Street and somebody shouts, it's a man! Uh, or I was at a gig recently and somebody in the front row kept asking if I was a man or a woman. And I feel like I don't have an answer to that question. <laughs> um, there's, no, there's nothing funny I can say right now that's going to dissipate this. Um, I've always, I've always liked dressing up in women's clothes. Um, that's uh, something that um, I guess I have to accept. Uh, it's not that I think, you know, Samantha isn't just a brilliant idea that came out of my head. Samantha exists because I like dressing up in women's clothes and when I got the chance to create a character, I already had a wig um, and I thought this would be really fun. I didn't sleep at all the night before I first played Samantha. I was so nervous and so sure that people were going to point at me and say, who is this freak who enjoys dressing up in women's clothes? And I know that it's not unusual for a man to enjoy dressing up in women's clothes. It's just, it feels strange for me to do it. I remember being a teenager and dressing up as women's clothes at home. We had a room above the garage um, and nearly being caught by my father. I was in, I was in high heels and a skirt, and I was pretending to be Ginger Rogers. Um, and I mean, that's okay when you're five, I think, but when you're 13 or 14, <laughs> it's not considered acceptable. And luckily, he didn't come up. I think he probably heard me clattering about upstairs and tactfully decided to call uh, from the bottom of the stairs. Um, but the reason that this, this Wimbledon gig um, sticks in my memory is because it didn't go well, and nobody laughed. Um, they all looked at me. Most most of them looked at me in a very confused fashion. They were waiting for the guy to come on and tell mildly homophobic jokes um, <laughs> after me. Um, and there were a couple of people here who were super supportive. And it was horrible because they kept looking at me and smiling as if to say, go on, do it. You're, you're being really brave. And it's... <laughs> And it's great. And that, and it was that that was so horrifying. Um, and I felt completely naked to them. Um, and I felt, I felt ashamed standing there in Wimbledon at this comedy club. And I've realized that that's, uh, there's, there is no hiding the fact that I am just a man in a dress when I play Samantha. Um, and that I have to, if, if, if I'm going to conquer the comedy club environment, which I haven't given up the idea of, I don't get booked for comedy clubs anymore. Uh, that was the last time, but um, I, it, maybe people will forget and book me again. Um, I have to, I have to allow people to see me underneath 
the dress. That's one of the reasons why I'm performing as me today and not Samantha. Um, and so every time I put on my makeup, you'll see there's no, well, you might be able to see, there's no stick. That's because it went so badly, I dropped my handbag and everything went everywhere and I didn't have time to pick everything up. So now when I do my eye makeup, I have to do it with my finger. Um, and so every time I do it, I remember standing on the stage <laughs> in Wimbledon with these people going, <laughs> and I think it's making me stronger. <laughs> I think the thing that's really interesting for me is it's also the first time really I've seen you perform not as Samantha. So do you ever think that maybe actually you're Samantha in male drag? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, I, do a, um, I do a couple of radio shows actually. I do one as Samantha and one as me. Um, and really, so that's the first thing that I've started doing as me, as Charles Adrian, that isn't acting. And uh, Which means you basically created a new concept, which is audio drag. Right, exactly. <laughs> How do you even do that? Exactly. So um, well, you just say, this is Samantha, that's all. And then people <laughs> have to imagine in their heads. Um, but to do the Samantha show, and I'll tell you a secret, don't tell anyone, it's pre-recorded, it goes out as live, but that's not how radio is done nowadays, it's all pre-recorded. Um, it takes me, so to do a two-hour Samantha show takes me under an hour to record, to do a one-hour Charles Adrian show takes me an hour and a half. Um, and that's because I don't have a character for me, and a lot of the time I have to re-record because it sounds too much like Samantha when I do it, and I think that's, I, I, can't, I can't let that line blur. So yeah, it's much harder for me to be me, and I do think sometimes, yeah, it's, it's the Samantha rhythms and the Samantha uh, language and the Samantha voice comes much easier. And I was really thinking about, um, I really have this image of the people in the audience just sort of politely smiling at you during this horrible set. Do you think it would be easier if you were, like in a weird way, if you had a kind of outright heckle, like some really aggressive response for you? Yeah, it sometimes is easier, yes, yes. Um, because, well, one thing that bad, that, that aggressive heckles do is that if you deal with them well, you can unite the audience against the person who's been so horrible. Um, and yes, so if somebody's being just nice, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, everybody hates you except those two people. You can't, there's no, you don't have any, you don't have anyone on your side, really, to... I mean, it was lovely that they were so nice. I don't want to... They were very nice, you know, if otherwise it would just have been a room full of people. And they weren't, you know, the people who didn't like me weren't being horrible. They were just waiting for me to finish. And then, and then my last my last question about this eyeshadow, like, do you think, do you think, you will buy new eyeshadow to kind of celebrate the, or do you think you should just hold fire to this like symbol, well, this cosmetic symbol? I think I'm quite attached to it as a symbol. Yeah, um, I could. I mean, I could just buy another thing of eyeshadow and use the baton from that, <laughs> uh, but I haven't done it yet, and it's going to be a while before it runs out. It's going to be a, yeah, it's going to be a moment, isn't it? I should hold a party, shouldn't I, when uh, <laughs> when I buy a new eyeshadow? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers! Thank you very much. All right, so our next guest coming up onto the stage is one of the poets I booked. Uh, please go wild and crazy for Tina Sedaho. Make some noise for Tina! This is already going to be a fail because I've decided to have props and um, I've realized that props and a podcast. <laughs> so, but you know, what the fuck? Um, so, my, uh, my entire show is about <coughs> failure. So I thought, oh, should I write another one for, for Tragedy Fails Better? And I thought, no, you know, why make my life a complete misery? <laughs> Let's just do a failure from the show. <laughs> Apparently it represents theatre shows. Yes! <laughs> Always wanted to do that. I'm nearly going to plug it. Yes, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Any tiny light, though? Yep, getting there. This is why we call the show Fail Better, uh, ladies and gentlemen.
1979, and I'm riding Sultan, who looks like a miniature thoroughbred, round the ring at Ivor Hall Show alongside 30 other kids in the best pony club pony class. The judge shouts out, number 73. Wait, that's my number. I turn into the center of the ring and take my place at the top of the line. The judge hands me a red rosette and a silver trophy. Blimey! I never expected that to happen. But man, it feels good. Now, I had watched many people win competitions and afterwards say things like, I don't believe it, or I never expected that to happen. So in possibly the worst attempt at non-attachment ever, I decided if I could create that feeling of not expecting to win again, I might do a lot of winning. Saturday. And the lesson today is how to win. I begin by writing out a thousand times the line, I'm not going to win on every skim of paper I can find, trying to outfox my evil twin who's everything I'm not. Mouthy, cheeky, silly grin, a whirly-gig of kings and pawns, a song for every occasion longs only for an audience. But the lesson today is how to win, so a thousand times write out these lines. I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win. After all, doesn't the Bible say the meek shall inherit the earth? And what's meeker than affirming? You're not going to win. Sometimes kids do the craziest things. I pin my hopes on a tongue-twisting spell, unaware that the sting in the tale of dreams is not that they don't always come true, but that thoughts repeated a thousand times do. I made practical preparations as well. At home, I built endless cross-country courses for my ponies, even jumping in and out of the garden when I thought my parents weren't looking. I would ride round these with a theme tune to the Horse of the Year show playing in my head, because one day I was going to be an international event rider and win badminton. Badminton. As a kid, going to badminton was more important than Christmas. My father was an international trainer, so I got to help behind the scenes, carrying the buckets of bandages and feed, holding the linen cloth that gave the final polish to the riders' boots before they entered the arena. On leaving school, I began training towards my ultimate goal. It took nine years to reach international standard, but in September 1994, my horse Chinook and I were fifth at Blenheim Horse Trials, and this qualified us for badminton. I had it all mapped out. We would spend the whole winter training. I would go to bed every night at 8 p.m., live on protein shakes, and give up sherbet lemons, earlier reference, you'll get it if you come to the show, <laughs> forever. Once. The riders at badminton had been my heroes. Now, they were my peers. I was so close, I could feel the champagne bubbles pinging in my nose. One day, a couple of weeks before badminton, I got up and ran my hands down Chinook's legs and found a hot, raised lump, no bigger than my thumbnail, a sign of tendon strain. Any more training, and it would be damaged beyond repair. Nine years of work, over, at 7.01 on a Monday morning. If you want to find out what happens next, <laughs> 12.30 in here, the good delusion. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Round of applause to Tina Sutter home, everyone. Grab a chair, Tina. Uh, Tina, thank you, Tina. Right. 
So, uh, Tina, I've got, I've got a couple of questions. Um, so, you, I mean, I uh, don't want to do too many spoiler alerts, but you did become a, a champion at uh, three-day eventing. Yes. Uh, and then after that, you've, you've decided to become sort of a poet, an artist. You, how does it feel going from something you are winning at? You're at the top of your game yeah. for... <laughs> Wow, guys, like, come on, let me ask the question. Um, to going to something where you're starting out again anew, and it, it's, it's a new skill, it's something you're trying out, yes. and of course you're not going to start up there, are you? How did it feel starting again, you know, at the bottom almost? Do you know, it was absolute bliss, because there's so, ex so much expectation, because um, I've got a famous dad, probably none of you have heard of him, but in his field he's very famous. There was always a lot to live up to. Um, even a, even from being a small child, and so to completely disappear from that and, um, and basically go to the other side of the world and start writing when nobody knew who the hell I was, um, apart from one girl that I bumped into on the beach at Sydney. I was sitting uh, between two flags waiting for a friend, and, and we started chatting, and after five minutes she went, oh, I think you used to teach me in the pony club. <laughs> So your, your past always catches up with you. But no, actually, it was, it was magnificent to mm. just be unknown. Uh, and what was that sort of first gig like when you kind of decided, right, I'm going to go do this now. I've written something. I'm going to yeah. go to an open mic. I'm going to go to a gig and read and perform something. Do you know, I was lucky because it went ridiculously well, <laughs> which um, I didn't manage to live up. But, but I, I went and um, I performed this poem and, and I got the poetry oh, at the end. <laughs> It's the poetry orgasm, basically. <laughs> and, uh, and then I did another poem, and people just went, oh, <laughs> that one was shit. Um, but that was, that was enough for me to go, I like that. <laughs> um, I, I've seen the show, uh, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's an incredible true storytelling, uh, kind of theatrical, poetic experience uh, of that kind of journey, I suppose. Uh, and one of the big themes in the show is trying to do better, trying to be good, whatever that definition of good is. Mm. Uh, do you find you need that kind of, I guess this is a kind of true storytelling, right? do you need to live with that honesty to be good? Um, I, I think it's the direct opposite because my experience was always the harder I tried to be good, the worse I was. Um, because uh, being so, uh, as soon as you're perfectionist, you start to tighten up and then you make mistakes. And my biggest lesson always, always is let go, let it flow, roll with the punches. Don't try to be good, just try to be, not even try to be, just be whoever you are, however fucked up that is in this moment. What I like is that that's probably the complete opposite to being a champion three-day eventer. I imagine where everything has to be perfectly poised and perfectly controlled, right? I was so badly suited to it. <laughs> All right, so I highly recommend Tina's show. She will fly you after. Uh, but it's The Good Delusion. It's on every day at 12.30. Be amazingly beautiful, incredible show. Ladies and gentlemen, get off Tina Sederholm. And next, I would like to call up to the stage Lisa Gornick, filmmaker, storyteller, and theater maker. Hi. Um, bum, 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 bum. So I'm going to talk about um, my horrendous life as being a stand-up comic. I can't believe I, this is what I'm fucking doing right now. Anyway, <laughs> Paula said, do you want to do it? I said, no. But she said, you've got to do it because no one else will. I mean, no one else will. So, I mean, take my place. Anyway, so I, um, about 30 years ago, I uh, went to an audition for Karen Corran. I didn't realize who Karen Corran was, but she runs the Gilded Balloon. And it was like, you had to go as a couple, and it was like for one only. And so I said, well, I'm going to improvise. And the bloke that I was with became a very famous TV producer, and he went off because he had to do his double act with me. I just improvised, and I did an improvisation of being a Russian woman. And I just thought, I, I do this. I would just be Russian. I would just go, hello, everyone. I feel so depressed. <laughs> and for whatever reason, Karen thought that was brilliant. <laughs> and she um, hired me. She like, tomorrow night, you're going to Pit Lochry, and you're on. And I'm your agent. <laughs> And you're a stand-up comic. And it, and, it was, and it was easy as that. That's how I got a job as Karen Curran's um, protégé, I suppose. So anyway, I went to Pit Lockery. I was quite good. I was improvising. What I would do is I'd be a Russian woman. I'd dress very sexy. And I was kind of a proto-lesbian. I was straight. I think I really wanted to be gay. So I would go up and I'd go towards the men. But then I'd start flirting with the women and go, hello, darling. How are you, sweetie? You okay, baby? And I was like, wow, I'm really living out my lesbianism. And the men got a bit pissed off. And they were like, right. Okay, and it's Scotland, okay? And I'm very posh, I'm quite a posh-sounding English girl. 
but I'm doing Russian as well, so it's all very confusing. Anyway, so that was good. And then Karen sent me to uh, Portobello, and by this time I had Greg Wise as my guitarist. Now, Greg Wise went on to be quite a superstar, didn't he? Do you know Greg Wise? Mm -hmm. He's married to Emma Thompson, and he was like my mute guitarist, and he'd be like strumming away as he went, Je veux je Where's another woman? You want it? Oh, Sorry, you're with him? Come let to me. I would do this. I would alienate all the men in the room. They'd start going, you fucking cunt. And I was getting kind of heckled, and I was like, and then she began to not like me. I would do like about, and then I realized I'd had to be, you know, get my equity card. I needed 12 of these bloody gigs to get an equity card, and I could leave the world of stand up comics, comedy, because Karen Corrin never. Is Karen Corrin here? <laughs> She'd hate to know this. Anyway, so I would, you'd go around these clubs, I'd get 60 quid, give six pounds to her, I'd pocket the rest. And more and more, I was getting so heckled. You're a fucking shite. I don't know, I was in Glasgow, and now the women began to say, You're a fucking shite. Get the fuck off my tits. I'm not fancying you at all. So the women didn't like me, the men didn't like me. It's going better now. It didn't go this well in, in Glasgow. People were steaming. People were taking the fucking amp out the, the thing. Get that fucking woman off. Can't, can't, can't. I love seeing that. Are oh, you embarrassed? You see, it was like that. So by 12 times, I realized I felt awful about myself. I, oh, you see? It was like that, but he would be walking out that day. They'd all be walking out. I was shite. I was shite as a stand-up comic. Right? I like quite, I, but I like flirting with the women. I became a lesbian. That's not such a great success either. But <laughs> meanwhile, Greg's gone on. I should tell you as well, Lucy Lumsden used to drive me to the gigs, and Lucy Lumsden now fucking head of Sky. So these girls, they all, the girls, Sky, Lucy, Greg, the bloke that didn't do the double act with me, they all got to be successes. And I just came like a really UB40, posh-sounding um, lesbian that did no good as an actress, total failure, and um, quite depressed, bit of a drinker. Yeah, it's all got silent now, hasn't it? And um, <laughs> 30 years have passed, I Facebooked Karen Corrin. For some reason, she's my mate on Facebook. I said, Karen, oh, darling, do you remember me? Oh, you're that Russian woman. <laughs> right, how are you, darling? Could I do a show again at the Gilded Balloon? All right. All right, sweetheart. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Good night, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm <laughs> Fuck it, that's it. Woo! So... Aren't you glad that I refused to let you get out of this gig? I don't know. Are you? <laughs> I don't know. Should I have not done it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's interesting. I can't see anyone except a few ladies. Too <laughs> <laughs> much. Funny um, that. Oh, sweet, I see, but you, you were giving me bad looks. You, you're my husband, apparently. And you didn't look like you wanted me anymore. With all that sex that was going on. You're doing major cunnilingus. Right. <laughs> I well, I was I was gonna ask you then. Do you think stand-up comedy is responsible for for your lesbianism? Good question, Paula. No. <laughs> no. Do you do you think if you went to Russia with your Russian mm. accent, you could you could get away with it for a little little minute? Mm, do you? I, I don't think so either. <laughs> I mean, I I think no. They say probably kill me. I don't know. You no. I don't think so. Do you think this Russian? Does this sound Russian? I think it sounds French. I don't know what this fucking accent is. <laughs> it's, it's foreign, isn't it's it? Foreign. It's like foreign yeah. and inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd love to go to Russia. I am actually Russian Jew yeah. as well. God. That's no. <laughs> sorry. That's what my show in the, sorry to do in the show on Gilded Balloon is about being a Russian Jew, lesbian, Jew. <laughs> <laughs> it's going down really well. <laughs> can you can you do any other accents? Or is Russian kind of like their go-to other? Go, it's a go-to sexy accent. I can try Scottish. Oh no, I won't try that. Um, my dad's American. I'm not good at accents. <laughs> I got a really bad. You know, I got a bad review about my accents. It's not my best thing. Other oh. things are. I don't know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> did you just? <laughs> I just did that. Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, flash them. Yeah. Have you have you ever taken someone home after a gig? Mm, not, but tonight's the first time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming with me. 
I have. I'd love to be that kind of person. What, do you, what do you mean, that kind of person? Who the kind of person goes like, hi, sweetheart, what are you doing later? Oh, don't worry about him. You're coming. I'd love <laughs> to be that kind of person. That'd be great. No, I have. Have I? No. Yes. No. <laughs> uh, no. Mm. It's only the beginning of the fringe. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I mean, would that be would that be a success at the oh, fringe? That yeah. Happen? Like, would you? But I'm sharing a bedroom with Lucy. Lo I'm bedroom. I'm, I'm I'm in the box room, and Lucy's in the big room. And should I hope there's no squeaking next door? Squeaking? I would never squeak. You would I? <laughs> would I, husband? <laughs> 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 I don't squeak. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, this is interesting questions. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to do that. <sighs> I've just been dumped. That is a failure. I have. I mean, my go. God, this is getting too silly. Time up. Time up. Now let's talk about your love life. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> I broke up with my girlfriend. She drove me out to. Okay, you want to hear about it? She, <laughs> she fucking drove me out to Edinburgh. She's from North England. Right? Oh, like it's Scott's fault. <laughs> Lancashire. And she hates when I do the Lancashire accents. So I won't bother. And she broke up with me. Aww. She did. <laughs> she did. I can't believe it. She did. She, uh, she uh, accused me of being an alcoholic. And I was going to ask if it was because of the Russian accent. No, she doesn't. Uh, She's from Lancashire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm not really now. I, I, Oh, God, this is getting too weird. It's so bright lights. I do feel I'm, I'm being interrogated by the Nazis. No, yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm we're, single, we're. and I'm up for anything. <laughs> okay, it's time. Thank you. That was Lisa Gornick. <laughs> oh, hello. Sorry. Hey, um, I'm so sorry for earlier. Like, you can't see anything on this stage. Oh, oh, or do anything. Uh, it's very good. Thank you, Paula. All right, so we have another poet coming up onto the stage now uh, to share some true storytelling type stuff with you. So uh, there she is. Ladies and gents, uh, give it up for Hannah Hutzpah. Make some noise. I've usually got uh, them memorized, but I've got a whole show in my head right now, which you need to see at 6.45 at uh, Pilgrim. <laughs> um, my name is Hannah Chutzpah, only it's not really. Um, I've had quite a few people asking me, is that name real? Uh, for those that don't know, Chutzpah is a Yiddish word that means guts, pizzazz, or bare-faced cheek, depending on the interpretation. Um, and I took it as a stage name because my real name is Double Barrel because my parents are hippies and no one can spell either half. Um, but yeah. Judaism is an in-joke to me, a semi-secret identity. It makes you smile when you find another from your tribe. Oh, you're at that gig too. Oh, you're a veggie too. Yiddish is a breadcrumb trail I sprinkle into conversation to see if someone picks it up. I am a half-Jewish, dual-national bisexual. I live on a few fault lines. <laughs> but I can blend right in. Or I can tip my hand slightly, see if anyone picks up my clues, like more direct eye contact or looking at another girl's lips. Yiddish is my verbal condiment, adds so much flavor couldn't cook a whole meal with it. I leave breadcrumb trails, but tonight, four pints in, I have drowned my subtlety. Tonight, I dropped a whole loaf of challah on the table. I liked your frum puns. I am Hannah Chutzpah. He shakes my hand, replies in three whole sentences of Yiddish, and a dude in an East London pub has just outdued me. <laughs> just by speaking the language I took my name from. Hindernis Nievich, you would laugh if you could see me now. Your own great-granddaughter scrawling greenhorn across her signature in the Yiddish she cannot speak, erasing your erasure. I dye my shiksa blonde hair dark red. I'm nostalgic for a New York I never knew and wish for more links to the past that you couldn't wait to escape. Your success was your daughter's suburbia. 
I was born with a BBC accent but can't shout, I'm not really from here, loud enough. Growing up second generation means growing grafted. But my branch of the family tree doesn't stay still for two generations. I flower in London soil. The seam was small, the transplant took long ago. But the name I am happiest in is one I made up. The same as you did, the same as my mother did. Our tradition is transformation. That and shouting. <laughs> Hinden Nisniewicz, Helen Goldberg, I was named after you. The first initial H. To appease my grandmother's angry ghost, my mother said. And I don't think you would have liked me much. I am my mother's daughter. But Hinda Nisniewicz, Helen Goldberg, I took your old name, the one you left at Ellis Island, as my first pen name. But I am a shikered shiksa tonight. And a dude in an East London pub has just outdued me, just by speaking the language I do not speak. The language that people use to tell their kids to behave, to buy some milk, to shout, to pray, to talk and shout in syntax, structures and sentences in a language, a whole language, which I do not speak. And my breadcrumbs are just breadcrumbs. Adds so much flavour. Couldn't cook a whole meal with it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hannah. Um, so, uh, we're, we're asking a couple of questions. I guess my first question is, um, in the poem, you kind of talk about transformation and changing things, changing names, changing hair color, that sort of thing. Do you feel sometimes like life fails you and stops you being who you want to be, so you have to make those changes yourself? Well, obviously, what nature should have done is made me taller, thinner, with uh, <laughs> better skin. And uh, um, I, I think there's something quite cool about claiming and deciding, no, no this is the one I'm going to pick if that makes sense but um do you feel it kind of gets you no. closer to kind of like truer self i suppose that's what i'm i guess i'm getting at potentially yeah i think i think the name started out as kind of costume stage name screen name originally it was like twitter and email accounts um but yeah i i feel like i've grown into it a bit Cool, all right, and uh, so uh, I guess uh, kind of my last question is, uh, tell, tell us about your show, basically. Um, so uh, I, I watched the show last year, um, so uh, yeah, I think picture, uh, there's a lot of truth in the show you're, you're kind of doing this year, I think. Yeah. Um, but also lots of failure, I imagine, as well. So yes. It's all about sort of uh, permission, isn't it? Yes, um, there's actually a section on Gender Fail 101, um, which takes people on a hop, skip, and jump through ways in which genders are socialized differently for either success or failure. Um, my show is called Asking Nicely. It's all about permission and whether we feel confident and entitled or like we don't, don't belong and we don't deserve. And I use rhymes, reasons, uh, lots of science and uh, audience participation swearing. <laughs> all right, thank you very much, Hannah. So you can grab her flyer after the show as well. So give it up for Hannah Hutzpah. One more act for you, ladies and gents. And last but not least, I would like to call to the stage the lead singer of the Black Diamond Express, Toby. I've done this before. <laughs> folks. <coughs> uh, yeah, I kind of walked in the room tonight and just immediately put my guitars over here and kicked over a glass in the corner of the room, which is an auspicious start to <laughs> the evening. Um, I was going to tell you a little story about uh, some years ago, I was living in a flat in Edinburgh, a place called Cadzo Place, which is at Abbey Hill. If you're from Edinburgh, you'll know it. And uh, underneath it, now it's called the Safari Lounge. 
And what they did was somebody bought it because they saw a great opportunity. Because back in the day, it was called the Station Bar. And it was a real spit and sawdust bar. There used to be a train line running nearby, hence the name Station Bar. There's no longer a train line there anymore. But they had this great sign. It said Free House on the left side. There was a doorway. And then there was another doorway and a window. And it had this neon sign that said Safari Lounge, which looked a hell of a lot more exciting than the reality that was within. <laughs> But I used to live upstairs from this place, and I, uh, I on the top floor, you know, because you always do. And um, <laughs> I'd, I'd gotten back, and one of my flatmates were there, and I didn't have my key because I'm a musician. And um, <laughs> I went upstairs, but I had some weed on me, of course, for the same reasons. Um, so I sat up there, and I rolled a joint. But because I'm a considerate sort of guy, I thought I probably shouldn't smoke it in my own fucking stairwell. Because, you know... Somebody might ask me for a toke or something. So. so I went across the street and stood next to the super, like the sort of Scott Med place, you know, and, and I was looking at the safari lounge thinking that place looks really cool, you know. And, uh, oh, far out, man. <laughs> and uh, this lady came across, you know, sort of middle-aged lady. She'd been in there drinking all afternoon, I, I gathered. And uh, <laughs> she's like, oh, there you go, you can tell that far. You got to give us a wee tune. I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> like, whatever. Uh, so she's like, I'll just go and get some fags, eh? I'll come back and get you. So she went into the shop, and uh, I chum across the street with this lady. We walk in this bar, and just as you'd expect, there's this like sort of burgundy color scheme going on, which blends quite well with the blood and uh, the guts <laughs> on the carpet. And there's these old guys sitting in the corner, singularly indifferent to my uh, big entrance. And uh, on the bar, there's this big guy. Big guy, sort out trouble. And then there's this really slight, quite gleekert looking lass. And for those of you who are not Scottish, uh, that means quite stupid looking. Um, no offense. <laughs> if anyone in the audience is also stupid. Um. So I went in there and you know, I started playing some tunes. And nobody's moved at all by this. Everyone's just like carrying on about their business. But this chick on the bus, she's looking at me. She keeps looking at me and I think, I've fucking got one of them. Got one of them. And as a performer, you're always looking to just get one person. You think, I've got this guy on my side, fucking in there. You know what I mean? Might get laid tonight. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I carried on after a while. I played a bunch of songs and she keeps on looking at me. And then eventually this guy leans over the bar. He's like, Yerva, you're wasting your time with that one. She's deep and dumb. <laughs> and, and no, she was. She really was. Um, um, so that that was that was that was that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, that was that was the the best failed tale I could come up with that painted me in the best possible light. Um, thank you. I just realized you, you've got this advantage um, as a blues musician, which is if you ever say anything awkward, you could just be like, I've been using that on my show the whole time. When <laughs> weird things have been happening, I've been like, I'm a blues man. I'm just going to use it in my art. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, do you have any other stories of people that you thought you were going to go home with after a gig that, well. Oh. <laughs> I tell you, can I t I'd, I'd really like to tell this story uh, about uh, an on-stage fail that's that's really horrific. How, how, I didn't long, I didn't how sleep. long is it? It's, well, we can make it pretty short. Okay, let's go for it. All right. So basically, with my band, the band's a big band. It's an eight-piece band. And over the years, well, in the early, you know, I've been together for about eight years. And in the early years, I used to get really excited. And I felt like I had to put a full stop on the show, you know, somehow with this big band behind me. I had to sort of do something. And it took the form of me kind of sacrificing myself in some way. So I would usually jump off a stage. And I'd have a few friends in the audience that, like, Toby goes batshit crazy at the end. So we'll do the Moses for him and, and clear a space. And I would jump off and I would sort of do a, a f like a gigantic forward roll, essentially. You know, land on my head and stand up. And everyone would go, wow, <laughs> wow, he must be really drunk. Or, you know, so anyway, we'd do that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, great fun at the time. And then there was this festival gig, and there was one of those barrier things, and there was all these people. There was these two girls dancing. I was like, fucking move, fucking move. I'm going to do the mad thing. And, you know, and they were kind of like, oh, what? I, okay. 
and they moved and I, and I jumped in the air and I, did a, I decided I'm going to do a fucking somersault. I don't even do somersaults. I went to do a fucking somersault. <laughs> and, uh, while I was in the air, time stood still, you know, as it does when you're doing somersaults that you never do, really, usually. And I was flying through the air and as I came around, I saw them move and I felt a bit like Moses and the light came down. It's fucking magical, you know. And, uh, and uh, the River Nile emptied itself and I saw this middle-aged woman with her back to me and I thought, fuck. <laughs> and I just had enough time to sort of complete partial somersault and hit her with my back. Now, bearing in mind, uh, my brain very quickly processed this because I'm a musician, you see. And, uh, and what happened was I hit the deck and I was winded and I was in a lot of pain, but my brain was going, you just fucking twatted this woman, you better sort her out. So I got up and ran over and was like, are you okay? <laughs> and her son was like, no, you fuck off, would you? <laughs> yeah, again, as I said, there are other stories, but they don't paint me in a very good light. Uh, uh, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Uh, sorry. Don't come and see my show. Tell, tell us about your show. Okay, my show is very good because the stage is only this high. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, stage dives every night. It just involves me just sort of falling forwards like that. Our nose is getting a bit sore. It's a really great time. There's some flyers here. Uh, you can, uh, you, if, if you want to roll one up afterwards, you know, we can, we can roach, we can roach them, and uh, I'll beat you in the alleyway. Yeah. Whoa. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Toby. Okay, so ladies and gents, thank you so much for coming out to our show this evening. This has been Stand Up Tragedy Fails Better. So Fail Better is a monthly podcast. Uh, we'll be releasing this live as a Fringe special, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you like what we do uh, with Varjak and Simpson. Uh, Varjak is Simpson. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening and thank you for Stand Up Tragedy. Give a massive round of applause Stand Up Tragedy. It's here every night in the Banshee, live, two storytelling every evening. And we should, we should probably give our acts a chance run through the aisles so yeah. they can exit so you as you go on the way out. As the, as the, fly, as the acts exit, I'm going to give it, give it up for the poets you've seen tonight. Hannah Hutzpah, <laughs> Tina Stederholm, and Scott Tyrrell. And big up Charles Adrian, Lisa Gornick, and Toby from the Black Diamond Express. Go see their shows. Oh, also, also I should say, Adrian is going to be hosting on, is it Monday or Tuesday, Adrian? Samantha, actually, if you want to meet Samantha, you want to meet Samantha. You want, you want oh, to meet yeah. Samantha. Samantha will be hosting here a very special Samantha Man edition of of Stand Up Tragedy. Yeah, uh, Paul and I both have shows. If you like our work on stage, come say hello to us. Uh, thank you, Stand Up Tragedy, for having us. We have been Varjack and Simpson. Thank you. Good night. All right, bucket. Oh, oh yeah, bucket. Yeah, uh, free fringe, ladies and gents. This means it's free to come in. It's a bit more expensive to leave. Uh, we have a bucket at the end. If you've enjoyed the show, uh, basically the bucket's really delicate, so it needs to be folding so, to not damage it. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Otherwise, anything you can spare, the money goes to all the acts you see. Thank you so much, ladies and gents. Thanks again. Good night. It's time to go. go.